there are several in, individuals in Tennessee that likes to log in, so that's the only reason why we're live streaming. It's a little far for them to drive on a weekly basis. As always, we'll, we will go to the Lord in prayer, but uh, we will start in Revelation chapter 1. We really moved a lot last week. We're going to reread chapter or verse 4, but we're not really going to get into verse 4. We're going to get really into it in verse 5. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our most kind and gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this day, Lord. We thank you for your many blessings upon our life, Lord, for allowing us the opportunity once again to come into your house to, wor to worship, to praise, and to honor your name. Lord, we ask that you'll anoint my lips as I endeavor to bring forth your message. Lord, that you'll anoint our ears to hear and our hearts to receive, Lord, and we'll be ever so careful to praise, to honor, and magnify your name. In Jesus' sweet name, amen. amen. And really, before we get started, I'm going to do a shameless plug here. Um, Sunday school, 930 in the very back. We're in the Minor Prophets, Micah. Yeah, we've been there for, we've been in the Minor Prophets for about two, three years now. Maybe even longer. It, it, we take our time. Okay, Revelations chapter 1, verse 4 says, John to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace be unto you and peace. From him which is and which was and which is to come, and from the seven spirits which are before his throne. Verse 5, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, and the first begotten of the dead, and the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. Now, for the benefit of the ones that wasn't here last week, if you come with a question, you must also have the answer. Okay, so that way you can't stump the instructor here. How about, how about just an inquiry? <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the witness and the revealer of this vision. And it's only one vision. That's the reason why it's called Revelation, not Revelations. It has been written here. Colossians 1 and 18 says, And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have preeminence. Verse 19, For it has pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell. 20. And having made peace through the blood of his cross, by him to reconcile all things unto himself, by him I say, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven. Jesus Christ is the faithful witness. He is the word. He's been there since before the beginning. He's seen it all. He knows it all. And he's done it all. Except for sin. He has never sinned, and it really irritates me when I hear people say, well, he died on the cross and he became sin for us. No, he took on sin like a mantle. He, he put it on like a cloak, if you will, and at his death, he dropped the cloak because it is finished. It, everything that needed to be done, it, it was done. Christ said he came to, we translate it to fulfill the law. The complete Jewish Bible translates it as he came to feel the law. A little bit of difference. Just a little bit. I kind of like the way the uh, complete Jewish Bible translates that word. So he is the faithful witness. He is the first begotten of the dead. 
Wait a minute. Let's just stop there for a minute. Let's park it. Other people died and came back to life. So how can we say he's the first begotten of the dead? Because in the Old Testament, we had the widow's son in 1 Kings 17. We had the Shunanamite woman's son in 2 Kings chapter 4. We had an unnamed man when he was placed in the grave of Elisha in 2 Kings. The New Testament, we had the son of the widow from Nain, Jairus' daughter, Lazarus, several of the holy people. And by that, when, when Christ was resurrected, they saw the old patriarchs and matriarchs walking in the city. Now, you think about that for just a second. They One, they recognized who they were. They'd never seen Moses. But they saw him that day, and they recognized it was Moses. They saw Abraham. And they recognized him as Abraham, but yet they had never physically seen him. So there was the Holy Spirit dwelling there even then. But several of the holy people, and then Tabitha or Dorcas, depending on how you want to say that, in Acts chapter 9, then you got Eutychus. Eutychus was the one that fell out of the window when Paul was preaching at midnight, fell over backwards, fell three stories and broke his neck and died. Please don't do that tonight. Okay, I'm not preaching. I'm just teaching. Yeah, you, you should be good. Of course, I again, I fell off the back of a truck and broke my arm. So I don't know. I'm the I'm as graceful as a drum hippo, I think. And then of course Jesus dies and he's resurrected. So you know, we we see these other ten people or these other nine people. How can we say he was the first of the dead? Jesus is the first begotten because it's not the, he's not the first to be from the dead, but he's the first one to come back to never die again. He will live forever. We will live forever. Okay? But these others, they came back, they died again. I've often wondered what Lazarus thought. You know, four days, he's been in heaven because the Bible says to be absent in this body is to be present in the Lord. So when he got the call to come out, I wonder what Lazarus was thinking. Now that's the question I'd like to know. You know, he's sitting up there, he's having a party with Abraham, he's talking to Jonah, he's seeing all of these old buddies that went on before him, and he hears Jesus say, Lazarus, come forth. And he stands up and says, Gotta go, guys, see you later. Wasn't goodbye, but it was see you later because he knew he would have to come back. Right now there's two that has not died according to the scriptures. That's Enoch. He was, and he was not taken, or he was taken, he did not die. That's from the Genesis scriptures. And Elijah, he was taken in the whirlwind. We believe that those will be the two witnesses, and we talk about that a little bit later on in Revelation. Some will say it's Elijah and Moses, but Moses died. And we know that the two witnesses, after three, they die. And after three days, they get up and leave. So we know that and once, you, once you come back, once you're in heaven, you're, you've got your glorified, well, you don't have your glorified body yet, but you're, you're glorified, so therefore you can't die again once you've been in heaven unless they call you back. We don't know. Maybe Moses will be called back and he will have to die again a second time. But 
we've still got these two that's standing out there, Enoch and Elijah, that's never died. So they're going to have to eventually. Brings up an interesting point. Where are they? They're eating. They're sleeping. But where are they? Because they're in a physical body. Maybe God put them in suspended animation. We don't know. But he, they're still alive somewhere. But he was not the first to be raised. The first non-individual listed had to die again. But Christ, once he was resurrected, he will live forever. And because of his death and resurrection, we can live forever with him in heaven. Now, all of these guys and girls that died, don't want to be sexist up here tonight, but all of these that died will be resurrected if they died with the Lord. Now, you say, well, how about in the Old Testament? That was before Jesus. There was a way. There was made a way. That's where Christ was at for his three days. He that first ascended, he was that first descended. He went to the bosom of Abraham. He went to paradise. He even told the thief on the cross, this day you will be with me in paradise. He didn't say you will be with me in heaven. You will be with me in paradise, which was the bosom of Abraham, which was upper Sheol. We know this because of Lazarus, not the one that was raised from the dead, but the beggar that was at the gate when he died and the rich man died. The rich man lifted his eyes up in hell, lifted up his eyes in torment. Saw Lazarus in the bosom of Abraham or in the embrace of Abraham or in the land of Persheo. And he said, send him over and just with a drop of water and cool my tongue. Abraham went, eh, sorry, can't do that. Because he can't cross over the great chasm that's between the two of us and you can't come over here. So there was this gulf, there was this divide. And back then you could look across you could look from paradise to hell or hell to paradise, apparently. And then the rich man said, well, send him back to the earth, or to the you know, to the land, and let him tell my brothers not to come here because I don't want my family, I don't want my friends, I don't want my loved ones involved in all of this. And he said, nope, sorry, I can't do that either. They've got the prophets. So we see all of these people will be that that die with the Lord will be resurrected in the second coming. And they will then get their glorified body. So all of your loved ones that has passed on before you, my mom, my dad, they just would have celebrated their anniversary yesterday, their wedding anniversary, and my mom's birthday. We always picked on our dad saying, well, he married mom on her birthday, so he only had to remember one date. But boy, he got in trouble if he ever forgot that one date because he missed two of them. But I'll get to see them again. I'll get to see them in heaven. I'll get to see them in, in the resurrection. And that that's uh, an amazing thing. So Christ is the first begotten of the dead because he's the first one to live forever. All the rest of us are living spiritually. He's in his physical body. We see that when he visits with Thomas and he says, well, Thomas, look, here's the piercings in my hand. Take your fist and thrust it into the piercing in my side. I'm in, I'm here. We also know that he was in flesh when he was on the coast, the beach. You know, Christians go to the coast. 
secular people go to the beach. And they was, he had fish already cooked for breakfast. And he ate with them. He ate with them. He broke bread with the two on the way to Emmaus. When they got to where they were going, he broke bread with them. That means he sat down and he ate with them. So we know that he had a physical body. So he's going to live forever. He's the first one that can in his physical body. Now, he's been around forever. God the Father's been around forever. God the Holy Spirit's been around forever. I like what Summer said last night. God the Holy Spirit is not an it. He is part of the third of the of the trinity of the godhead so he is a entity he is an individual but he also operates with the other two my father-in-law always said it as god spoke or god thought it jesus spoke it and the holy spirit puts it in action and that's the way they operate jesus the prince of the kings of the earth or as some of the other versions state this, the ruler of the kings. The prince of the kings states and shows that Jesus will be the leader and the ruler of the kings, and in fact, ruler of all. And that's from the second part of that verse. And the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. He is the ruler of all of the kings. And since the kings are the rulers of the peasants, the subjects, us, he rules us. But he's not a, a bad ruler. He's not like, you know, Charles I or Stalin or Hitler or Mao Zedong or any of the others that you want to mention or some of the leaders that we have even to, to this day. He's not like that. He's, he's going to be a very, he'll, he'll be the perfect leader the ultimate leader. He died on the cross for our sins. And had we just been the only one here, he still would have died on the cross for us. That's how much he loves us. But he had to die on the cross for the perfect blood to wash away all of our sins. Again, he did not become sin. I despise that statement. He took on sin as a mantle, as a cloak, or as a, a garment that he wore. But when he died, and right before he died, the last words he said was, it is finished. Everything that could be done was done. Everything that needed to be done was done. It was finished. Yes, we celebrate Easter, and that's wonderful, but we really need to back up and celebrate the cross. Because that's where it took place at. He didn't have to go to the cross. He could have said no. But he went because of Robert. Because he knew that this old dumb country boy from Tennessee was going to need all the help he could get. So he went to the cross. He said, Robert can't make it on his own. He's too stupid. He's too blind. He's too much of an idiot. He has to have my help. He has to have my blood and he has to wash himself in it. So it is by that sacrifice, he washed away all of the sins of Robert. And you can put your name there if you wish. I only, I only try to throw rocks at myself and a few other people. Okay, 
And for those of you that weren't here last week, that other person is Jim Jones. If you know anything about the People's Temple from back in the 70s, I'll throw a rock at Jim Jones in a heartbeat because he was an idiot. But his congregation was blind, and they did not need to do what they needed, what they done. They should have ran. They should have seen that happening. So he's the first begotten of the dead. In verse 6 he said, And hath made us kings and priests unto God and his Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. And hath made us kings. And you can put in queens for those females. He's not sexist either. And priest unto God and his Father. Now it's not saying there's a God and Jesus is Father. It's saying that God is his Father and we are kings and priests for his Father. He always, he always gave the honor and the glory back to his Father. He never took the honor or the glory for himself. Even on the cross of Calvary, he said, uh, into thy hands, into thy hands, into your hands, Dad, I commit my spirit. When he cried out, Abba, Father, that's like us going up, Daddy. That was a sign of endearment. But he committed himself to what the Father required. We've accepted Christ as our personal Lord and Savior, then we are joint heirs with him and will be rulers of the earth with him. In First Peter 2 and 9. But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar people, that you should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. It is only because of Jesus and the death on the cross that we get an avenue to get to heaven. They used to say all roads lead to Rome, and they were pretty straight. But they was a little, you know, bumpy because of the cobblestone. But they were pretty straight, and they was pretty wide, wide enough for the army to march. But there is only one road to heaven, and that's through Jesus. There are no other avenues. You're not going to get there through Buddha. You're not going to get there by Muhammad. You're not going to get there by your own self. We're not good enough. We can never be good enough. So we've got to go through Jesus. And that's what he accomplished on the cross of Calvary. He gave us that avenue. We are a chosen generation. Some would interpret that from First Peter as, well, it's this generation that gets to go, but remember we're still here and First Peter was written thousands of years ago, so no, that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about the family of God. He's talking about those that have come and accepted Christ as their Lord and Savior. That is the generation, and we will live forever. No matter how old you are, you will live forever. A royal priesthood and holy nation of peculiar people, which means embraced, encircled, encompassed, enveloped, if you will. Not bizarre and strange like most of us, you know, think of. I always liked that scripture because I knew I could be weird. 
I am a peculiar person. But that means that I am encircled. I am enclosed in God's goodness, in God's grace. Now, I can step out of that if I so choose. There's the perfect will, there's the permissive will, and then there's out of his will. Perfect will is doing exactly what God tells you to do, when he tells you to do it, and how he tells you to do it. That's the perfect will. The permissive will is compromising with God. Okay, God, I know you wanted me to go talk to Nineveh, but... Uh, well, Jonah was out of his perfect will. He was in the permissive will. He wasn't killed by that great fish that swallowed him. And then he went and he spoke to the uh, people of Nineveh, the Ninevites. But he wasn't happy. He wasn't pleased. He complained. He argued. He sat down and had himself a pity party because God didn't destroy the city. And this city was an extremely large city. It took three days to march through or walk through it. So it was a very large city, several, several acres that city was. So he was a little, he was in the permissive wheel because God didn't kill him. But then there's the out of the wheel. And that's those that you see that you know are saved at one time in their life. And they've turned their back on anything and everything and walked away. That's out of his wheel. You say that can't happen. Well, how about the guy named Simon who followed Peter and, uh, or no, it was Paul. He was following and then he saw, he, the scripture says that Simon was saved. But then he saw the Holy Spirit. He said, hey, how much will it cost for me to get that? Now it was Peter. And Peter looked at him and said, you're out of the picture. You can't buy what the Holy Spirit's selling. You can't buy it, period. You ain't got enough money. And he left saddened. He left he had walked away from God at that point. You say, well, that you still don't believe me. Well, we'll get into Revelation chapter 22 in a couple of years, maybe, and we'll see that it says, if you take anything out of this book, your name can be taken out of the Lamb's book of life. That's not Robert. That's the Bible. That's what God says. If your name is not in the Lamb's book of life, you're not saved. You had to be saved for it to be in the Lamb's book of life. So if he strikes your name, if he erases it, that tells me that I could lose. But that's a conscious decision on my part. I have to want to lose it. I have to try really, really hard to lose it. It's not, you know, getting mad because, hey, drive with me on the interstate. My wife can test to this. Drive with me on the interstate. I despise people when I'm behind the wheel. If that was the case, God should have struck me dead years ago. But he's still allowing. I'm in his permissive will when I'm behind the wheel of a car. I am not in his perfect will. I'll be honest with you. I'm working on that. I'm trying to give God all of that. But, you know, sometimes the old flesh just takes it back up. It goes, hey, I'm going to get behind the wheel of a car in just a little while. Don't ride with me. I promise you, you won't like me. I don't know how she's put up with me for 30-something years. So there's the perfect, the permissive, and the out of the will. We will be joint heirs if we are in the perfect. We will be joint heirs with him if we're in the permissive. 
we will not be joint heirs with him if we're out of his will. We have got to be in, in the bullseye, in the target area somewhere. You know, there's the bullseye, that's the perfect, and then there's all of those points that you can get by getting close. And then there's those points that you don't get when you stick it in the wall. You miss everything. We will be joint heirs. This is a promise for those that have accepted Christ. But it's nothing that we've done. All we have ever done is accepted what Christ done on the cross of Calvary for us and accepted that we are a sinner. We have confessed our sin, that we are a sinner, and we have asked Christ for forgiveness. That's all we've ever done. That's all we can do. Christ does all the rest. Without him, we can do nothing. It is the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross of Calvary. It is not because of our works, but it is all because of him. I can't work hard enough to get to heaven. I don't have it in me to work hard enough. And for my coworker that's sitting in the congregation, he says that I don't work hard enough anyway, so that's another story entirely. But I don't have it in me to work hard enough. Neither do you. You can't do it. Our righteousness is but filthy rags, the scriptures tells us. So we can't get there. We have to go through Christ. And when we accept him on the cross and what he did, I'm going to say it like this, all hell's going to break loose in your life. It is. That's that's just the standard thing. Christ dies on the cross for us. We accept it. Satan comes and tells us you didn't get nothing. And the trouble with modern day churches is we can get them to the altar, but that's where we leave them. We get up and we walk away and we say, oh, you're on your own. See you in the rapture. We've got to quit that. We have got to start walking side by side, arm in arm, lockstep with these new Christians, these older Christians. Because we have problems too. We have situations that we have to deal with. We need to lockstep in with all of these and just continue to march. I will say this about Rome. One of the reasons why that they were so powerful of a military force was their front line would never give. The flanks that they put out, the pointed spears and, and the shields, there was enough there you could hide an army behind it. They did. The only way that they could win and another force could win is if they had a more powerful front line. We have got to be on the front line. And we've got to be marching hand in hand, lockstep, arm in arm with our fellow Christians, but whether they're older or newer in the Lord, that's the only way we're going to get there. It is only because of him, though. Verse 7, Behold, he cometh with clouds, and every eye shall see him, and they also which pierced him, and all kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him, even so, Amen. 
Acts verse uh, chapter 1, verse 11 says, Which also said, You men of Galilee, why stand you gazing up into the heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as you have seen him go into heaven. We saw him, or they saw him, ascend into the clouds. The angels, they're still standing there. I would have been there like this. Wow. They're standing there. They're looking up. He's gone. Where did he go? All I see are clouds. But the angels comes back and says, well, he's going to come back in clouds just like you've seen him go. Now go and do what he's told you to do. Why do you stand here gazing up into the heaven? I would have just... So we know he's going to come back riding the cloud. Splitting the clouds. He's going to come back with clouds. Clouds are going to be his cover. Clouds are going to surround him. But I don't think it's clouds like we think. Okay? This is a Robert opinion. And when Robert has an opinion that's out, out of the scripture, I'm going to tell you, this is a Robert opinion. This is a Robert opinion. I don't think it's the clouds like we see. I don't think it's moisture vapor. I think it's his clouds of glory. I think his light is going to be so bright that it's going to outshine the sun, if you will, and everything around him is going to be dim and he's going to be bright and it's going to look like he's coming in a haze. You ever been in a really bright environment that looks like there's a haze, just a glow? That's what I think the clouds are. That's a Robert opinion. I can't prove it scripturally, but that's what I've always thought. Acts 1 and 11 tells us that it's Jesus left in the clouds. He will come back in the same manner in the clouds. Daniel 7 and 13, I saw in the night visions. And behold, one like the Son of Man came with clouds of heaven and came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. Daniel 7 and 14, And there was given him dominion and glory and a kingdom that all people, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom that which shall not be destroyed. They're crying for peace in the Middle East. I even read an article this morning early that said uh, peace in the Middle East has come. Because the president, or excuse me, the prime minister of Israel has went, a, has went in and visited with the UAE, the United Arab Emirates president, and they shook hands. Oh my gosh, peace has broke forward. No, it has not. Give me a break. That's not peace. Peace is not going to happen until Christ comes back. We can cry it all we want. My nine-year-old granddaughter that lives with us, Caitlin, she'll look at me and she'll say, Well, Poppy, for Christmas I want... Well, honey, for Christmas I want peace in the world. You can't give me that, so tough. And she'll just look at me. One of these days maybe she'll grow up and she'll understand what I'm saying. But we see that when he comes back and he sets up his kingdom, oh man, what a glorious kingdom that's going to be. It's going to be the Garden of Eden all over the world. It's going to be perfect. There will be no pollution. There will be no violence. There will be no anything but what God wants us to have. That's going to be the most ultimate peace. There will be no war. Because everybody will lay down their weapons and the armies and the evil will have been destroyed. Behold, he cometh with clouds, every eye shall see him. How? How can every eye see 
him come back. I'm here in America. I cannot see in Israel. So we'll get there, I promise you. And John, he tells us, John 14, 3, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. Wherever he's at, that's heaven. I don't care where it's at. And wherever he's not, that's hell. And so many of us lives our lives without him in it. They are living hell. But it's only going to get worse. This is not as good or as bad as it gets. This is just a stopping place. There's a better place and there's a worse place. And we quit talking about hell as a physical place. And we actually talk, stopped talking about heaven as a physical place. And it's permeating church society that well, if you if you're a Christian, this is this is the closest thing to hell you'll ever be. No, no. In a way, that's right, but in another way, that's wrong because we cannot compare what we have here to what we're going to have in heaven or what we would have had in hell. There's no way. There's no comparison with what earth is. Earth is a training ground. Earth is boot camp, if you will. Earth is where we are to supposed to be together and helping each other and living a life that Christ set out before us. But so many of us are selfish and we can't do that. He is coming back for us. Revelation is a road sign to let us know that our exit is coming up and we soon will be leaving. But... Some of those exit signs that we're going to read about and study here in the book of Revelation are shrouded in fog. And they will not be unshrouded by fog, not by this class, not by any book you read. They will not be unshrouded until we get there physically and then that sign gets cleared up and we get to see it. But once we've studied the book of Revelation and we see that sign, we'll know it. I know that sounds, that may sound like a cop out from a uh, teacher or an instructor. Uh, I, I told you last week I'm the tour guide. But that's the only way to look at Revelation. You're not going to walk away from any class and you can study it all the rest of your life and you'll still not understand it 100%. It's not meant for us to understand 100%. Because if we understood it completely, one, there would be somebody out there trying to make it happen. And there would be another somebody out there trying to stop it from happening. If we understood it completely. We are all on this journey. And we are all on this road. And Revelation is just a road sign. And it's full of road signs. And we're going to see some of them. It's self, it is self-revealing at times, but it is also still shrouded in a mystery. Such as, and every eye shall see him. We all carry phones. It's got cameras. I mean, I'm broadcasting all over the country right now. And eventually, when this gets out to, on my podcast, it's going to go out to all of the world. I'm not bragging. I didn't do that. God did, not me. But can I use my camera on my phone to verify that this statement is true? Every eye shall see him. Yes, I think it is the technology that we have. But I caution you, like I did last week, 
Let's not try to force what we know, what we see, what we have. Let's not try to force revelation into that. Let's just let revelation do what revelation is supposed to do. And let's just look at it. Yes, it could very well be our phones and our cameras. But what if? What if the world survives another 100 years, another 200 years? What will it look like then? What will we have at that point? Will there be sky cams so that, you know, we look up and there's a cloud, but hey, there's a movie playing. Oh, I've seen this one. Yeah, it's kind of a joke, It's but we don't know what the future holds. So maybe there will be sky cams and we'll just look up and his image will be bouncing off of all of the clouds. Possibly. Perhaps his Shekinah glow will be so bright that we will see it all over the world. I kind of feel that that's going to be the case. Amen. You can also take the, uh, the stance that, well, John had a smaller world than we have. John had the Middle East. He had the Mediterranean. He had Turkey, some of it. He had Israel. He had all of that. But that's all he had. If Christ comes back to Jerusalem in a cloud, that old section of the world, which would have been John's world, would be able to see him. Perhaps he's talking about that. Perhaps it's just that section, that Middle Eastern piece that he says, and every eye shall see him. Maybe it's just those guys that's living there. I kind of disagree with that because I truly believe if God had wanted me to believe that, he would have said something differently. I think it's his Shekinah glow. We're going to look up and go, well, the sun's awful bright today. Oh, wait, that's not the sun. I believe when the trumpet sounds, it's going to be so loud, we're going to hear it all over the world, and we're going to go, oh, boy, time to go. I don't have time to pack. I don't want to pack. Just let me get out of here. I would love for it to happen right now. Would not hurt my feelings a bit. One way that people believe that this will happen is 24-hour news. Just everyone carries a mobile phone that can upload videos to the Internet. If, is this what John meant? It's possible. But it could also be that all eyes would be local to Jerusalem. It's not meant for worldwide. And this is the reason some people believe that. Zechariah 12 and 10. And I will pour upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplications. And they shall look upon me whom they have pierced, and they shall mourn for him as one mourneth for his only son, and shall be in bitterness for him as one that is in bitterness for his firstborn. I will pour into the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem. That's where a lot of people hang their hat. They stop and they go, well, that, that proves it. It's just, it's just local. God doesn't contradict himself, okay? When you say, I will pour upon the house of David, who's the house of David now? All of the Christians. Who are the inhabitants of Jerusalem? We are all 
citizens of Jerusalem if we have accepted Christ as our Lord and Savior. John F. Kennedy, in a speech in, in Berlin, right before the Berlin Wall got built, he actually said, I am a Berliner. Well, that's what he attempted to say. They Some say he said, actually, I am a jelly donut. But that's another story. He had inflection wrong on his words. But he said, I am a Berliner, meaning I am a citizen of Berlin. Anybody that is alive right now would be a citizen of Berlin. If you are a Christian, you're a citizen of Jerusalem. Because you've been grafted in, you've been adopted in to the family of God. And you are a part of the lineage of David, so you're the house of David. And you are the inhabitant of Jerusalem. Now it says, and they, and they also which pierced him. Well, now he was killed 2,000 years ago, if I got my math right. And those guys that pierced him, they're probably gone. So he's not talking literal, because he knew that the Bible would last forever. It's his word. He even said, it will last forever. Stand when the world's on fire. So he's not talking about the literal people. They will also see him too. But he's talking about the Jewish nation. He's talking about the Romans, the Catholics. Again, I'm not throwing rocks at Catholic Church, but that's where the Catholic Church is, is in Rome. So he's talking about the entire nation that pierced him. Not the individuals, but the entire nation will see him and they will cry. They will wail because of him. The individuals were actively involved with the crucifixion of Jesus has passed away and will not be resurrected until after this event, the coming of Jesus. So this is not a literal state statement. It is the Israelites, those remnants, those that are alive and in the country and in the city of Jerusalem will see him and they represent that in those individuals that pierced him. No matter where they're at, they will, they will see him. That is who he is actually talking about. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending, saith the Lord, which is and which was and which is to come. The Almighty. I am the Alpha and Omega. Alpha is the first letter of the Greek alphabet, and Omega is the last letter of the Greek alphabet. Interestingly, the Greek letter for Alpha looks somewhat like a fish. I don't know if you've ever seen it, but it looks like a fish. If you've ever seen, and this is not why they, they chose the the symbol of a fish, but if you've ever rode down the road and you've seen the symbol of the fish and you knew that was a Christian in front of you, that's somewhat what the Greek alpha looks like. Omega looks like a wig, just to give you an idea of what it looks like, okay? The beginning and the ending. The Greek letter for Alpha looks somewhat like a fish. It shows that Jesus spans the eternity. He is eternal. It's from A to Z, as we would say it now. They said Alpha to Omega. We say A to Z. That's up to you how you want to say it. But it, he spans everything. He covers it all. He is the beginning. He's the very start. He is the very last. He will be here forever. He was here forever. 
He tells us in other verses that he is the Alpha and Omega, Revelation 21 and 6. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself. There where I am, ye may be also. In Revelation 22 and 13, I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. In Revelation, John also writes, Revelation 4, And the four beasts which had each of them six wings about him, and they were full of eyes within, and they rest not day and night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. Revelation eleven seventeen, saying, We give thee thanks, O Lord God Almighty, which art and wast and art to come, because thou hast taken to thee thy great power and hast reigned. He is the beginning of it all. And he will be the end of it all. It wasn't a big bang. It wasn't coalescing hot gases. It takes more faith to believe that junk than it does to believe that God spoke it into existence. Because when you think about it, you have to have a great imagination. I asked an individual that was a believer of the Big Bang Theory, where did this expanding hot gases come from? Now, they will tell you that it came from an explosion of another universe. Where did that universe come from? Hot gases? Where did those gases come from? Which comes first, chicken or the egg? When you think about it, Big Bang Theory says these gases are hot and they're expanding, but yet they explode and create the earth, the sun, the stars. How can something expanding explode anymore? It's already exploded. It's, it's, it's escaping. Stir your coffee of a morning. I know this is going to sound weird, but stir your coffee of a morning if you drink coffee. If you drink hot cocoa, just stir your hot cocoa. You don't get clumps all over the top. You get one big clump in the middle. That's exactly what should have happened if the Big Bang Theory exists. We should have one big clump in the middle. We don't. We have billions and billions and trillions of stars and planets and suns. We have eight Nine, I am still a firm believer that Pluto is a planet. I will go to my grave believing that. We have nine planets in our solar system. We have a star in the center. We don't have a big clump in the middle of the universe. We're all over the place. My coffee, my hot cocoa that I drink, teaches me that the Big Bang Theory does not exist, cannot exist. It takes more faith. Yeah, I'm, I'm bizarre. I have all kinds of weird analogies, sister. You'll understand if you come back, if you decide to come back, you were, you're going to hear a lot of weird stuff come out of my mouth. But I do make a point occasionally. You know, even a blind squirrel can find an acorn. So we see that you know, something had to start it. Isn't it possible that God said, let it be? And it happened. Just like the scriptures of Genesis tells us. Isn't it possible that everything that we have in nature, that when it dies, it just starts to decompose? But the Big Bang Theory says that it was already expanding and escaping and going out crazy and chaos, but yet it came together in order. Somebody put the film in backwards. 
How is that possible? How is it that all of nature decomposes, but yet the Big Bang Theory says it composed? How is that possible? Doesn't make sense to me. They pat the it's the Israelites, the remainants, the, the Alpha and the Omega, the people that were there that saw him will see him again. Whether they were ready or not, they're going to see him. So when I said earlier that yeah, they will see him, because their their body, their spirit's going to be coming up out of the grave too. They just might not get to go to heaven. Because you see, they're going to be resurrected as well. If they didn't leave this earth with him, they're not going to go up. They're going to stand in front of the white throne of God the Father. And Jesus is going to say, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I never knew you. And they're going to be cast into the lake of fire. They're going to see him again. So the remnants or the people that was there, yes, they will see him. Those that pierced him will see him. But they may not like what they see. Ten times in the New Testament, the Greek word for the all-powerful one, and I am not even going to try to pronounce that. It's a Greek word is used in nine of those ten times is in the book of Revelation. That's kind of important. Is there any wonder about the premise and the subject of the book of Revelation, what it's all about? Second Corinthians, and will be a father unto you, 6 and 18, and will be a father unto you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord God Almighty. I get to be a son of God? Not the Son of God. There's only one. That's Jesus. But I get to be a Son of God. I'm the baby of six. And there's two boys and four girls. And we had it rough. Those two boys did. did. I mean, we still do. They ganged up on us quite regularly, but to be honest with you. I am a son of Bobby Sapp. I'm not the son of Bobby Sapp because, well, there's two of us. I am a son. Now, I am the son of Bobby South that's named after him, but I am a son of my dad. I am just a son of God. I'm not the son. That's Jesus. Can't replace him. Don't even want to try. Because trust me, you don't want me in charge. There'd be a lot less cars on that way. I can trust you. Holes everywhere, just with cars all over the place. So I am a son. You are a daughter of the living God if you've accepted Christ. And he promises us that in 2 Corinthians verse six, or chapter 6 and verse 18. We are sons and daughters. Revelation 1 and 8 says, I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, saith the Lord, which is and which was and which is to come, the Almighty. Revelation 4 and 8 and the four beasts had each of them six wings about him. And they were full of eyes within. And they rest not day and night saying, Holy, holy, holy Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. Amen. You are the past. You are the present. You are the future. Revelation 11 and 17. 
saying, We give thee thanks, O Lord God Almighty, which art and wast and art to come, because thou hast taken to thee thy great power and hast reigned. Revelation 15.3 And they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and marvelous are thy works, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are thy ways, thou King of saints. Revelation 16.7 And I heard another out of the altar say, Even so, Lord God Almighty, true and righteous are thy judgments. Even so, Lord God Almighty. This is that word, that powerful word that there's nine or eight times shows up in the book of Revelation. For they are the spirits of devils, Revelation 16 and 14. For they are the spirits of devils working miracles, which go forth unto the kings of the earth and the whole world to gather them to the battle of that great day of God Almighty. Revelation 19 and 6. And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, and as the voice of many waters, and as the voice of mighty thundering, saying, Alleluia, for the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. Revelation 19 and 15. And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron, and he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and the wrath of the Almighty God. And the last one, Revelation 21 and 22. And I saw no temple therein, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are the temple of it. So we see... Nine out of ten times, the all-powerful one shows up in the book of Revelation. Lord God Almighty, the omnipotent one, the sharp sword, the almighty. And we see it over and over and over. So is there any doubt who wrote the book of Revelation? God himself. John just was the um, scribe, if you will. He took diction. He was the secretary, if you if you want to look at it that way. A friend of mine calls himself the stenographer of God. I like that. John was a stenographer. We see it over and over and over again. And we're going to see it throughout the first chapter, all the way through Revelation. We see it all through the 66 books. It's all about God. Amen. It's all about Jesus. It's all about the Holy Spirit, even all the way back into the book of Genesis, Exodus. One of the best sermons that I ever heard Tim Hill preach, and you'll get to hear him Sunday night if you go to uh, Church of God, East, uh, Central Church of God, excuse me. One of the best sermons I ever heard the man preach. He was a young preacher at the time, and he decided he was going to preach a sermon of the times that the Spirit is mentioned in the Bible. And he started in Genesis. He took a breath at about Malachi. He finished in Revelation. But most of the time he was in front of the podium and he was never behind it reading. Tim's, Reverend Hill is a very, very, very good preacher if you've never heard him. But it is all about God. Yeah. Revelation is not a book to be afraid of. It is a book to study. It's a book to read. It's a book to understand as it happens when we are living a part of 
Revelation now. Amen. When will it finish? I have no clue. And if anybody comes up to you and says, I know when the end comes, run. Because they don't. Even Jesus don't know. That's the one thing that Christ doesn't know. God the Father hasn't revealed it to him yet. He said there is no man except for God that knows. The Father knows Amen. when I come back. Using my own words. Any questions or comments? We're going to stop there with verse 9. Because it's been about an hour. And I apologize. <laughs> for going so fast through the book of Revelation. I mean, what, we've done four verses today? Woo! Awesome! Any questions? But remember, you have to have the answer before you ask the question. Now, if you do have a question, and I don't have an immediate response to you, my wife is going to write them down, we're going to research them, we're going to pray about it, and we'll come back to you with the answer. I don't have the answers, but I know the man that does. And that's God the Father. Amen. There's a bunch of signs in all through the Bible. Yes. It talks about the last of the last days mm -hmm. and what, what it'll be like and what's going to be going on and a whole bunch of stuff and, um, from what I know about it I, I think Jesus comes back real soon I think he's coming real soon yeah when will that happen I don't know but no day no hour but the seasons do you know the sign you know when the sky's red you know what the weather's going to be we can tell the weather this is another sign but you know, somewhere today somebody died. Mm -hmm. They are meeting right. their, their forever home. Yeah. So many Christians get called up on when the rapture is going to take place. We, we don't need to be concerned when the rapture takes place. We need to be concerned, am I ready to go right now? And am I doing what God has asked me to do while I'm here? Because I may not make it home. I may not make it to the back door. I may not finish the next sentence. So often we get called up, and I have a friend, and I love him to death, but he's called up and, oh my gosh, did you see that? It's going to happen. It's going to happen right now. You don't know that. Back in 1988, there was a guy who wrote a book said, 88 reasons why God's going to come back in 1988. Yeah. We're in 2022. Yeah. When it didn't happen December the 31st, oh, I made a mistake in my calculations. Uh, it's 1989. Well, it's 1990. Several predictions on that. It's when God says it's enough, it's enough. But he may call me back today. Because you see, GM, Ford, and Chrysler are not the only ones that recall their products. God recalls his products too. You said how are everybody going to see Jesus? Yes, sir. Well, you got the, you got the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Right. It's not the Holy Spirit everywhere in the world. Amen. Right. Amen. Not Jesus be everywhere in the world. And yes. Everyone can change the same as the Holy Spirit. I agree that's completely and totally. It's it's going to happen. That's my, I mean, and I appreciate that. That's my thing because Holy Spirit's everywhere. So what? Um, we can see him. Right. We should see him everywhere. Going back to some of the things you said earlier about like heaven and hell. Yes. And uh, God was impressing on me not too many months ago. Um, but God made us in his image. Yes. And he said, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And there's three parts to us humans. 
Mm -hmm. There's a part of us that never dies. Amen. And that's why he had to make a place for those that don't take his way. Exactly. Because they're going to be there forever. You know, I saw something else too. When somebody was telling me about this TV thing. I never watched it. I saw a couple ads for it. Walking Dead. Yes. What's well, not funny, but God showed me that out there, there's a lot of walking dead. Amen, brother. If they're not born again, you're dead. You're dead. They're we were there. And you're dead. Yes. We were there. Yes. I was yes, a walking we dead. And we were resurrected, weren't we? Yes, we were. <laughs> now, you say I'm the walking dead. I told this to Lynn the other day. Uh, when we get fully autonomous cars, when we can go in and we can tell the car where we want to go. Now, her car will drive itself, but you got to keep your hands on the wheel. But what I'm talking about, when we can, when we fully have fully driving cars, imagine you get into the car and you tell it you want to go to the grocery store. You have a heart attack between your house and the, that car is going to deliver you to the grocery store. See, it's a zombie mobile. Okay? It is a zombie mobile. Sorry. Weird stuff comes out of my mouth sometimes. I have some weird thoughts late in the night. <laughs> Took the hair off. <laughs> any, any other comments? We'll we'll end on the zombie bombill. <laughs> Go ahead, brother. Impressed on me, especially this last year, um, where he says he's going to pour out his spirit on all flesh. Yes. I think a lot of us Christians think it's just us. No. That he's going to do that too. When he says all flesh, he means all, all flesh. flesh. All is all. Even the ones that are dead. Uh, how they handle that and whatever. Well, it's God's been working with me on that as well, brother. And I think I've I've shared it with uh, my wife. I've shared it with the pastor multiple kind times. Of excited about it, really. <laughs> he's going to pour his spirit out, but are we going to allow him to pour it in? Right. We're supposed to be empty vessels. Yeah. Yep. We're supposed to be broken vessels. You have to be broken for it to pour out of you. If it's poured in the top of you, it's got to pour out of you. But we can go out into the rain or let's say the snow and we can get snowed on. But the moment we look up and we open our mouth, then we become a child again because this, we're trying to catch the snowflakes on our tongues. We need to be out there when he pours that spirit out, but allowing him to pour it into us. I heard a preacher say one time, Somebody questioned him on uh, how, why we need to keep being filled with the Holy Spirit. And he said, he says, look at it like this. We're a bucket with holes in it. Yes. You got to keep getting full and give it away. It'll go out. Yeah. You give it to people. We don't get it to keep it. No. We it's not ours to keep. Whatever he gives us. If, if he wants to flow through us to do healings, that's his power flowing out. That's his anointing. It's not us. We're just the vessel. We're just a conduit yeah. for his love, so to speak, for his healing. But his so, so many people get caught up in this, oh, look at what I've done. Mm -hmm. I cautioned a, a minister, a good friend of mine who's a really good preacher, a very good speaker, and I cautioned him one time. I said, you have the gift of gap. That can be a blessing or it can be a curse. Yes. It's how you deal with it. 
Because people's going to come up and they're going to pat you on the back. Oh, you've done such a great job. You, I'm not telling you not to tell the pastors that they've done a good job or that you've enjoyed their sermons. That's not what I'm telling you. But I am telling you to, to temper it yes. with caution. Because men can and women can get addicted to the accolades. And that's why we see so many ministers falling Oh, because they get pumped up in their cell. Oh, I can do this. Well, no, you can't. We lift them up and then they get prideful and then pride comes before the fall. Well, and all of us... He'll take it away from you. Exactly. <laughs> but we all can get caught up in that. It's our human... It's our nature. It's our sin nature. Yes. The pastor talked about the other day about his youngest little daughter, mm -hmm. you know, throwing stones and he says, stop that. She starts throwing them more what? It's, it's, it's us. It's in us. Yeah. That's the way we are. But because none of us are good. Thanks be to God. He's, a, he's good. He's good. So if he's in you, that's the only thing good in you. Exactly. Because within ourselves, even Christ said, when they came to him and said, good master, he said, whoa, 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 use my own words. Why callest thou me good? Yeah. There is no one good but God the Father. He always turned the spotlight to God the Father. He never took it for himself. I have a great hope that says in the Bible, uh, Christ in me, a hope of glory. Mm -hmm. so that's why I go to the altar all the time. Mm -hmm. Nobody's ever questioned me on that. But the pastor, I'm, I'm saved. I'm not going up there to get re-saved. <laughs> but the pastor always opens it up. If you want to touch from God, you need healing, you, need you just want more of God. I'd rather, that's what I want. I would Christ ride the... I'd rather ride the altar to heaven yes. than ride a pew to hell. Amen, brother. If I have to come to the altar, I come to the altar quite a bit myself. If I have to come to the altar to stay where I need to stay, then I'm going to live at the altar. That's right. Without question. Sometimes I feel pulled. Like when I got saved, I remember that. Oh, yes. I mean, I knew I was going to the altar before we made the altar call. <laughs> That's how pulled I was. But uh, I sometimes the, I'm not pulled, but if the offer is given... I went to the altar without an altar call when I got saved. The piano was playing. Mm -hmm. Till the storm passes by, my sister-in-law was singing it. It was on one of these altars that we have here. I don't know which one now, of course, but the one that was sitting over to my left, your right, in front of the grandbaby piano at the other church. That's where I hit my knees and accepted the Lord and my personal Lord and Savior in 1986, in, yeah. in March of 1986. I always say God scared me. I got scared in heaven. <laughs> <laughs> we was watching them. The, the, the only time I'd go to church if they had fellowship in the office. So, but my mom was praying for me, other people, my wife, you know, and God finally got me. But anyhow, they were showing these, uh, they were on 60 millimeter film at the that tribulation. time. So right. Tribulation, there was three, three parts to it. Mm -hmm. And so, like, I went on a Sunday night and watched one of those. I could feel the tug, but I didn't go. And mm -hmm. a year later, they showed the second one. I remember studying a little bit of Revelation when I was a little kid at youth. Right. Place at youth, though. So, I knew a little bit about it. But those things really solidified mm -hmm. the little bit I knew. And, like, it's 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 a fearful thing. Oh, it is. To be in the hands. You know, if you're not saved... Oh, I don't so, want to be in the hands of a wrathful yeah, God. Yeah, so I was ready, you know. I was, I was, I was there like <laughs> doing the white knuckle, but you know, I knew I, I was just waiting for him to say it. You know, I went up there and spent forty-five minutes sniveling, 
Mm -hmm. They were praying, want me to anoint me and this and that. I used about a half a box of tissues. <laughs> Finally, I gathered enough composure to stand up and I walked back, started back the aisle. And uh, this, this lady from down the road that knew me since I was a little, little boy, she knew I was a, a rascal. You? A rascal? Never, brother. But she, she was so happy to see me get saved. I was coming by. She reached out and grabbed my over. She, she just didn't say it loud. She, was, she says, she was praising the Lord. She says, I've been praying for you for 23 years. Mm, and it was an impossible thing. Right. And she was praying for to see this guy mm -hmm. accept the Lord. She she let me know that, and I, I, I said, "This is awesome." You know, I didn't know she prayed for me. I knew my mom was. My grandmother got killed in 1986, in November of 1986, and she left us all a letter. And in that letter, she said, "I pray for each and every one of my children, Amen. each one of my grandchildren, each one of my great grandchildren, each one of my nephews, and each one of my nieces." I want you here with me. Amen. You're reading this letter, and I'm I'm paraphrasing it, but you're reading this letter, I'm gone. Right. But I'm home. I'm in heaven, and I want you here. Amen. She probably preached to them a few times during her life, you know, so they... Every they, time you went into her, her house! <laughs> yeah, a couple times, yeah, so, yeah. She was a fiery little woman. <laughs> Sometimes you plant and water, plant water, and don't see anything. Until you're gone, maybe, and maybe that letter. I'm, I'm just that saying, letter brought some of my family. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. So, yeah, no question God's about been it. Showing me another thing from probably a couple years or more about focused intercession. Don't be afraid to ask God for impossible things. Right, right. Because with Him, going, all things are possible. You may not see Him immediately, but if you're praying for a lost kid, I've seen it in my own family because I had some impossible ones too. Now, they're all safe. we shouldn't ask for the, you know, the Corvette. We shouldn't ask for the Lamborghini. We shouldn't ask for the, uh, th those things we shouldn't ask for. I want a Corvette, but I don't ask God for it. If God blesses me with it, that's great. That's wonderful. If he doesn't, that's fine. I'll, I, I, I was going to get a Corvette. I was up at Carmack in Raleigh, and I, they, I was looking at other cars. But they had a Corvette here, and I asked the guy, can I sit? Down in there. Oh, I felt great. I'm telling mm -hmm. you what. Cradle shit. I tried to get, get out. out. <laughs> it's hard to get out of that thing. Yeah. These you have to bones. roll out of them. Yeah, these old bones don't jump out of them cars. <laughs> Friend of mine was going to buy uh, a Viper. And he told me, he said, when, when I get it, you can drive it. I went, uh -uh, no. That'll be my coffin. There won't be, you can't separate me and the car. You'll have to bury it all with me. Any other comments or questions? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our most kind and gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this night. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your study. Lord, for opening our eyes of understanding, God, we ask that you'll continue to bless, that you'll continue to move. Lord, until we meet again, Lord, either here next week or in your presence, God, wherever that is, Lord, we ask that you keep us safe. In Jesus' sweet and holy name we pray. Amen. Yeah.